I'm Avery Arden of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Hello, lovely listeners. I was hoping to get this episode out last month, since it relates to disability and July is Disability Pride Month, but unfortunately, life got the best of me. In the second half of July, I went to a progressive Christian festival, then I went on vacation to Alaska with family, and then my wife and I both got COVID. So I slept the end of July away instead of getting this episode out. What can you do? I hope that all of you are keeping as safe and well as you can. Please keep on wearing masks when out and about, get vaxxed or boosted if it's an option for you, and remember to reach out to loved ones for help when you need it. That's what community is for, to care for each other. Anyhow, even though it's no longer the official Disability Pride Month, Disability Pride should be an all-year thing, am I right? So, I'm happy to be sharing the first part of a conversation I had with my dear friend Laura of the Autistic Liberation Theology Podcast, all about Joseph of Genesis. Before I tell you more, I want to invite you, yes, you, to submit something to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers. I'm putting together a special episode compiling responses to current events from war and climate change to increased anti-trans and anti-abortion sentiments. In the midst of the stress and hardship of the present day, what are you feeling? What actions are you taking? What books or movies or communities or so on are you turning to for encouragement? Send your submissions in to queerlychristian36 at gmail.com by September 1st, or heck, if you get it in by September 5th, that's good too. It's a soft deadline. Your response can be written out or recorded. It could be just a few sentences or seconds long, or up to eight pages or ten minutes long. Back to today's topic, Joseph of Genesis. Laura and I both adore this biblical figure of rainbow coat fame, who many Jews and Christians over the years have interpreted as a queer figure. Laura and I discuss that queerness, and then Laura adds in another element— they interpret Joseph as an autistic figure. Our full conversation is actually three episodes long. You can listen to all of the episodes over at Laura's podcast, which I'll link to in the show notes. But if you only want a taste, that's what this episode is for. I've slightly abridged the first portion of our talk, the part dealing with Joseph's youth in Canaan before being sold off into enslavement in Egypt. Please be aware that this episode does contain some intense stuff, particularly violent queerphobia and anti-autistic ableism. I make sure to end on a note of hope, because while Joseph, like too many marginalized persons across the millennia, is subjected to horrific violence, that's not the end of their story. Let's get right into this discussion about the queer autistic Joseph, right after you hear about another show on the Rock Candy Network. Hi, I'm Liam Hooper. And I'm Peterson Toscano. 
Together, we co-host the Bible Bash podcast. Each month, we look into a different ancient story. We're curious to find insights into our own queer lives. We discuss these and share our findings with you. You can find the Bible Bash podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out at the end of each month. I, I like that you you uh, chose they them pronouns for Joseph, and I think we should stick to that. I always, that's a question that I ask a lot: is like what pronouns to use for Joseph? Obviously, within the text of Genesis, it's it's mostly he pronouns, but um, there is one point, at least one point, where Joseph is addressed by another character with feminine language. So mm-hmm. um, I think that we have some license to play with pronouns with Joseph. I think for me, at least sort of switching around, like I mostly use they, but I don't think it's a bad thing to use he or she, or, you know, like I don't think it's misgendering Joseph to use any set of pronouns. I think yeah. while we're, while we're bringing our imaginations into it and without knowing what Joseph would choose, um, if Joseph were alive today, being able to sort of switch it up, um, to sort of remind ourselves that there is a lot of like gender queerness and expansiveness in this character and sort of challenge the established yeah yeah mixing it up um but yeah anyway right before we like dive in I do want to say that like for me I've looked into Joseph as like a gender queer figure for like for years and have read so much stuff about it but I'd never thought of Joseph as autistic. And so I'm like, it makes me so happy. Like, as soon as you pointed that out to me, when I read Joseph's story, I keep notice. I'm like, oh, this is so, this is so true. The, the overlap there. I think it like coincided, like for me, the, the time in my life when I got really, really deep into to the whole, like Joseph, uh, the musical. Um, the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, then the Hebrew Bible uh, special interest. Like, that that really was at a time when, like, it coincided with, um, for the first time, learning, oh, autism is a word for me. Mm. And so that is, like, entangled. And, like, yeah, seeing myself in that person it, with all the experiences I made, with all the bullying, with all the being shut away or being excluded and having to leave school and all that was kind of like like a safe space for me yeah so do you want to introduce everyone to the idea of like joseph being both neurodivergence and queer yeah how that overlap is actually pretty common so i suggested that we use uh, we introduce a term um that's called neuroqueer and that many autistic and otherwise neurodivergent people use uh, to describe the fact that their queerness, so their uh, orientation and their uh, gender identity are so inseparably like linked to their neurotype, like being autistic, for example, um, that that term neuroqueer describes like a combination of both. And yeah, we know that many autistic people even if they don't identify as trans, um, often don't relate or don't want to relate to like stereotypical gender norms. Or else they, they do want to relate to it because they're trying to fit in, but it's a... Str- yeah, and, and, and struggle, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't come naturally for them. So they yeah. so say you have an autistic person who's assigned male at birth 
And for all intents and purposes, it's like, yeah, I am a guy, but why don't other guys seem to accept me as one of them? Like, it becomes like, I have to study them and figure out what do men do? Yes. Um, And often that can cause, like, unfortunately, that can mean leaning into, like, toxic masculinity in an an effort to be like other guys. Yeah. It would also be interesting to, to, uh, like, look into, like, how many people who identify as uh, a gender or, like, reject the category of gender in general are autistic because mm-hmm. many autistic people like say yeah okay i'll take that term but gender doesn't really make sense to me at all yeah and so yeah for for many queer autistic people the term neuro queer just feels like home mm-hmm. i can't explain my orientation and or identity without explaining my neurotype or taking that into account and so, yeah, we thought it might be a good idea to apply that to Joseph because mm-hmm. uh, like a queer reading of Joseph is quite common. And when I say quite common, I mean uh, like ancient, <laughs> as we will explore later, that there's yes, yes. really, really old Midrash and uh, like Jewish uh, interpretation about what we would today call uh, like a queer reading, be it like what his uh, sexual or romantic orientation is and also what his gender identity is. Right. And even um, possibly Joseph and uh, Joseph's sister Dinah. Do you you pronounce it Dina or Dinah in English? Dinah, yeah. Dinah, like um, being um, uh, even intersex. Yeah, like you saw in the in the article by Rabbi Dania Rutenberg that you sent me. Yeah, she cites some of that midrash that says that Leah and Rachel, the two sisters, are both pregnant with children of Jacob. But Rachel was supposed to give birth to a girl, while Leah's supposed to give birth to a boy, but then God switches the sexes in the womb so that Rachel's the one who has the boy, the one assigned male, Joseph, while Leah has Dinah. Yeah. And that is, yeah, like like centuries old yes. <laughs> uh, Jewish midrash. And I will link, I will post the uh, link to that article. Perfect. Yes. It's really good. Uh, if you haven't heard of uh, Rabbi Daniel Rutenberg before, um, she's awesome. Uh, yeah, totally. She has uh, three children, and one of them is uh, trans. And oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she has a girl, a boy, and a non-binary kid. And aha, uh-huh, she collected. She collected. Yeah, them all. the whole. Yeah, <laughs> the whole set. And so um, she also talks about the different like blessings, blessing prayers that she. Like she had to come up with like a non-binary one yeah, for her child and stuff like oh. that, and yeah, and she's a she's yeah more than an ally. She's kind of a like yeah mother fighting for her her child's right, mm-hmm. and uh, like gives really beautiful insight into um into queer Jewish traditions that are older than you might think. Right, and yeah, she's written this great um, article about Joseph that we might be citing from time to time, and yeah. Uh, so that is well established. Joseph being uh, falling outside of gender norms. Yeah, yeah. So this is well established. But Joseph being read as autistic is, for 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 me, it's obvious. But um, for other people, it might not be. And so it might be easier just to read those things as a combination. Yeah. Especially when it comes to the narrative of Joseph, um, which has so much oddity and so much strange behavior and it's you can read it as kind of 
oh, this is me, I'm so queer like Joseph, or this is me, I'm so autistic like Joseph. Yeah. But you can also read it as both. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so would you like to, to read the passage that you selected? Yeah, yeah. So starting at chapter 37, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and I'm reading the Common English Bible translation. All right, here we go. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, where his father was an immigrant. This is the account of Jacob's descendants. Joseph was 17 years old and tended the flock with his brothers. While he was helping the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, Joseph told their father unflattering things about them. Now Israel, so Jacob's other name, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made for him a long robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. When we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stalk got up and stood upright, while your stalks gathered round it and bowed to my stalk. His brothers said to him, Will you really be our king and rule over us? So they hated him even more because of the dreams he told them. Then Joseph had another dream and described it to his brothers. I've just dreamed again, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he described it to his father and brothers, his father scolded him and said to him, What kind of dreams have you dreamed? Am I and your mother and your brothers supposed to come and bow down to the ground in front of you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father took careful note of the matter. I just had to constantly keep myself from from like making squeak noises because I love that story so much. Yes, yeah. Ah, oh, there's so much in there. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, um, we need to address the dress. Yes. Would you do the honors and explain the Hebrew? Yeah, so the translation I was reading just called it a long robe. Um, some other translation options for this outfit, this special coat that Jacob gives to Joseph. Um, so here's some other English translations. An ornate robe, a beautiful robe, a coat of many colors, a very colored tunic, a richly embroidered tunic, and of course, um, in the musical, a technicolored dream coat, right? <laughs> so there's something special about this, but people are not quite sure how to translate the Hebrew, which is ketunet pasim. And so ketunet, that's the easy part. That's a coat or a robe. The pasim part is what makes it more complicated. The only other time we see this phrase ketunet pasim in the Bible is for King David's daughter Tamar. So all those centuries later in 2 Samuel chapter 13, David's daughter Tamar wears a ketanet pasim. And the the narrator of 2 Samuel explains that this is how the virgin daughters of the king were clothed in earlier times. So that's why some people say, oh, it's a princess dress to like simplify it. princess dress it's a princess dress yeah this is something that young daughters of a king would wear it's a princess dress that's what joseph is wearing yeah and i've heard that there is also a midrash that it was made out of uh, rachel's old clothing yes yeah yeah i've heard that too um for that tangent we'll go there first is um in this uh book i have called queer myth Mm -hmm. the authors speculate that um if that's true, that this this outfit comes from Rachel's old clothes, 
there's some old like commentaries and stuff that link Rachel to religions that are different like that she like when she in Genesis 31 leaves her father's home to go be with Jacob she takes her father's household gods with her Mm -hmm. and so some people like have this idea that she's some sort of like priestess or like that she is devoted to goddesses Mm -hmm. and for the people who wrote the Hebrew Bible for the, the the community of Israel Goddess worshippers were frequently associated with being gender nonconforming because a lot of priests of goddesses would do what we would consider cross dressing. Those who were assigned male at birth were still called priestesses and like would wear dresses and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that too would connect Joseph to some some idea of gender nonconformity um, to be wearing his mother's old clothing that is potentially related to that kind of thing. Um, I think that could make a lot of Christians uncomfortable, though, to think of, oh, Joseph worshiping goddesses like that. So like he wouldn't do that. And to be fair, I think the authors of Genesis have that sort of uh, fear as well, maybe or worry like they because they throughout Joseph's story mm-hmm. make sure to, to describe Joseph as constantly um, saying things like, this is happening because God made it. So, you know, God is with me. Like Preference to God. Yeah, yeah. Like Joseph is extremely faithful to the God of Israel. Like Joseph really does see the the hand of the divine in their whole journey. Um, but I also think it could be the, the, the writer's way of being like, look, see, don't worry. Joseph may be like gender nonconforming and all this stuff and even practice divination. But Joseph is still a faithful Jew. Fear not. And... This is uh, probably a tangent also, but you can cut it out. Um, uh, there's like this part when he's in uh, in prison and he's like the the cook and the um what's the English word like the the guy who serves the wine. Yeah, steward is the word often. Yeah. Or a cupbearer, I've seen. Yeah, something cupbearer. Yeah. When they when they hear that he knows about dreams, they basically say, oh, is it true that you can like tell the future?" And he's like, "No, no, no." That's God's job. Yes, yes. But then right. in the next mm-hmm. sentence is like, but let me hear and I will tell you. Like, Oh, that's a good point. Like Joseph is clarifying. It's not divination like what Egyptians do. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's from my faith. It's a Hebrew thing. Yeah. 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 God's the one in control, not me. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And what, um, yeah, Jacob also does is kind of reaffirming like the, the whole thing about who was Joseph in the womb. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it wouldn't be it wouldn't have been a horrible thing if if Rachel had born Jacob a daughter mm-hmm. yeah that that he would still have uh loved that first child oh. of Rachel and yeah yeah oh I love that so like Jacob sort of in giving this this garment to Joseph Jacob sort of saying like Hey, I see the feminine in you, and I love it. Yeah, I celebrate it. Yeah, you're yeah. you remind me of your mother, and I miss her, and so I'm I'm glad she lives on in you. Yeah, the the other thing that, like, even when I was, when I was seventeen, reading that about that seven year old, uh, person, like, and me being like hospitalized for the first time and feeling outcast by my classmates and all that, like, really resonated. And then there was this phrase about he told his father the unpleasant things about his brothers like and it was kind of wait this is my hero he he's flawless he can't, <laughs> how can i justify this <laughs> over the years i realized autistic people 
tell stuff that they don't think is like they don't see themselves as as kind of snitches or like right they just say stuff oh like joseph might not even realize like oh yeah like like ruben and i were doing this thing together and jacob's like you were doing what now like not even realizing it's gonna get ruben in trouble type thing yeah and i've done that or else in the other direction like i was i was something of a tattletale for a while because adults tell you if you see something bad say something yeah and you just take you're like oh yes i'm a good rule follower i will do it and it takes a while for you to realize oh shoot if i do that like all the kids hate me now like yeah yeah exactly and even and even sometimes adults also are kind of judgy even though they're the ones who say yeah tell us if something bad's going on they also kind of judge you for being the tattletale too you can't win and also when uh i got bullied and i would tell the teacher that would be kind of held against me Mm. and so that is a thing that i realized that autistic people often get in trouble for like observing stuff or saying i'm irritated by that i need help understanding why this person did that and then everybody that's you don't don't snitch don't be a tell uh tattletale and stuff and um yeah similar with uh with um the dreams it's like he's kind of having those fantastic dreams about his fabulousness and how awesome he is yeah uh he just blurts it out and is kind of really not careful yeah and that is kind of like oversharing (laughs) like being really really excited about like really personal things that might Mm -hmm. uh offend or upset others and you have you have every right to to say them out loud but you don't see what in what danger that might bring you right and even if jacob what we're going to talk about doesn't see danger at other times here he actually sees oh well you should keep quiet about that mm-hmm. yeah he kind of scolds him and joseph doesn't seem to understand um and i, I have to think of all the like uh autistic coded characters that as uh, sometimes as a gimmick um like sometimes even bad representation <laughs> have this thing of being overly honest and being mm-hmm. or seeming to brag and just being truthful right the the brothers and jacob are like wow you've got a big head and joseph's like what this just happened it's i just had a dream <laughs> and that is like in the musical version where donny osmond plays joseph he is kind of really like in a childlike naive manner kind of smiling and telling his brothers what what kind of yeah losers they are uh... not thinking they're losers but kind of like it's obvious they're going to interpret it that way yeah so yeah this just leads us to to basically what that creates in the brothers and then we can yeah also talk about yeah when we come to the next part we can like uh talk about who could have seen this coming or who is responsible or who should have taken care of yeah joseph who did not see this exactly yeah like joseph is the kid here oh on that before we keep going i do one thing about the Hebrew in Genesis 37 from the very... Oh, yeah, you're right, right. From the very... Yeah, sorry. Be- yeah, yeah, no, I forgot about... Um, <laughs> um, the very beginning, in, in like, in, I think, verse 2, it says that Joseph is na'ar, which means a young man in the most, like, literal translation. Mm-hmm. But 
by the time you're 17, you shouldn't be Na'ard anymore. You should be Ish by now. You should just be a man, not a young man or a boy. Yeah. And and yeah. so there's this sort of like infantilization of Joseph by the authors, mm-hmm. um, which autistic mood, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for the, for the authors of Genesis to start right out with calling Joseph Na'ard is sort of pointing out like, this is someone who doesn't fit gender norms. Mm-hmm. By this point, Joseph shouldn't be acting in this way anymore, but here they are. And age norms, like, it's also an artistic thing that not only being infantilized from the outside, but also realizing, like, age-appropriate behavior isn't a thing for us. Right. And so mm-hmm. we often are vulnerable because we, as children, we often are said to behave like adults and, like, old souls all those words the young professor trope yeah yeah right yeah. all those all those stereotypes and like as as adults we often are labeled childish right an autistic age appropriateness works different and yes yes so joseph is really vulnerable i think maybe with this young young man or with this term the author also wants to point out it's uh, like um this this term holds some vulnerability that yeah if i can throw in some like jewish midrash that various uh scholars throughout the ages have noticed joseph being called naard mm-hmm. and have sort of expanded upon it and so in um bereshit rabba 847 which is like this important um bit of midrash um it it suggests that what it means for Joseph to be a Na'ard is that Joseph behaved like a boy, mm. penciling his eyes, curling his hair, and lifting his heel. I think it's that idea that children can get away with some gender nonconformity that you're supposed to grow out of. Mm-hmm. Another per- another person who is called a Na'ard in Genesis is actually a woman, and so it's wow. this masculine term Na'ard that is used for is used for Rebecca. Oh wow, nice. So that's what Joseph's grandmother yeah. on on um on Jacob's side. Um Rebecca is called a uh, Naard. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, right before she marries Ishmael. And so Oh, Isaac, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That is before she marries Isaac. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I think when it's used for Rebecca, it's almost like the English word tomboy where Yeah, oh, she, nice. like uh they expect her to grow out of it. Like she's acting in masculine ways, but she'll grow out of it hopefully. But yeah, so she's a Naard and so is Joseph who also in in sort of the opposite direction is behaving in these ways that hopefully he'll grow out of, but we know Joseph never does grow out of it and that's part of the conflict. Oh, I really like that. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I like that. It, I like that this one um, midrash mentions that Joseph like pencils his eyes, like like mm-hmm. puts makeup on, like and mm-hmm. a bit of a spoiler, but yeah, in Egypt, um, once Joseph is like in higher positions, that kind of like penciling your eyes was something that Egyptian men would do, and Egyptian mm-hmm. men yeah. would shave, like yeah, they, they didn't Their have legs. to have. They didn't have to have all the like facial and body hair that that Hebrew men did. So Joseph is going to find Egypt a bit more accommodating to his yeah. differences. It's going to fit him better, that culture. Yeah. But yeah, so we can move on into, like you said, um, more about yeah why the brothers hate Joseph for this stuff. And, and in the next bit of the story, enact violence upon Joseph for these differences. like. Yeah, 
I think for me, like, when it comes to, like, the part that makes sense about why they hate him or they're jealous of him is that in their, like, in their social structure, their family structure, Joseph is one of the youngest, so Joseph shouldn't be putting on airs about being, you know, like, about being the highest, and so that could be threatening to them, especially to the eldest son, that Joseph might be a threat, especially because, like, Jacob clearly favors Joseph. There is some danger there that Joseph could sort of usurp them and, and take on the father's wealth, you know, inherit most of the wealth. And there's also the, the, the whole thing about um, the children, uh, like the sons of, of Leah, probably know that she is not loved as much as Rachel. Like, not she's the second favorite wife. And to know all that, to know that conflict and to know that their mother's pain... Yes that kind of gets passed on and that doesn't stay like in that generation. Yeah, yeah. And and Rabbi Daniel Rittenberg writes about that. She, she talks a lot about family dynamics and family trauma in this particular family. And yeah, she talks about Abraham not having overcome his own mm-hmm. childhood upbringing and then like not being able to um, protect his son and Isaac being kind of like the, the, this this whole thing about um yeah transgenerational trauma trauma being passed on and um Jacob having this whole thing about I want my rights I I want favorites I I'm I don't accept being the second born and then kind of uh that carrying that into the next generation yeah. um especially when it comes to like, blessing jo- Joseph's grandchildren and switching the hands and all that so yeah, there is stuff going on that isn't addressed. And that if that would be like would have been addressed, then stuff could have been uh, like prevented. Right. Especially when you have a vulnerable person who just wants to express themselves and be amazing and be glorious and then having people use that against them. Yeah, well, yeah. And just the fact that in this social structure, only one brother can be on top. Like, yeah, if, yeah. If the social structure didn't make it so that there can only be one firstborn son, then there wouldn't have to be this competition between the siblings. Joseph would be able to have these sort of dreams of being lifted up without the brothers reading that as them being thrown down. Yeah. Um, do you want me to read? the next bit so that then we can keep talking about the the violence yeah yeah again trigger warning that it is actually a hate crime basically yeah the way we're gonna talk about the story um so i'm doing a slightly abridged version this is still in genesis 37 um and it's verses 12 through 36 but slightly abridged um it starts with jacob telling joseph like oh hey your brothers are all out in the field kind of you know far off they've like taken the animals out to graze far away. Can you go um, talk to your brothers and um, report back to me about what they say about like how the flock's doing? So here's from verse 18. The brothers saw Joseph in the distance before he got close to them, and they plotted to kill him. The brothers said to each other, here comes the big dreamer. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns, and we'll say a wild animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard what they said, he saved him from them, telling them, Don't spill his blood, throw him into the desert cistern, but don't lay a hand on him. 
intended to save Joseph from them and take him back to his father. When Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's ketonet pasim, took him, threw him into the cistern, an empty cistern with no water in it. When they sat down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and on their way down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and hide his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not harm him because he's our brother, he's family. His brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and found that Joseph wasn't in it, he tore his clothes. Then he returned to his brothers and said, The boy's gone, and I, where can I go now? His brothers took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, dipped the robe in blood. They took the long robe, brought it to their father, and said, We found this. See if it's your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It's my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph must have been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put a simple mourning cloth around his waist, and mourned his son for many days. All of his sons and daughters got up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, telling them, I'll go to my grave mourning for my son. Oh, man. I I just have this image like in my head from, from the musical again, where kind of this Donny Osmond smiling, naive Joseph like comes to greet his brothers and is all happy and hi, what you're doing there and doesn't see like that really resonates with my, my kind of autistic bullying experiences of like walking right into a situation where people are not going to be friendly to you and you don't see it. Yeah. Until it's too late. Yeah. And it's it's heavy. It's it's not only is it kind of uh like thinking about murdering someone, thinking about like actually selling someone, but also the need to rip up, like tear up this this dress, this kind of offensive thing, which reminds me so much of like yeah. hate crimes against queer people. That um, it wasn't enough to hurt him they had to strip him of this big queer symbol and destroy that yeah yeah i don't know it it almost it feels like there's some sort of connection there between like when when hate crimes happen especially against like trans women or trans feminine folk the fact that they were wearing something like a dress is used as like an, as a justification of the violence yeah like the 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 trans panic thing yeah yeah so like they 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 present this robe to their dad and it like for them it's like oh see if this if this was your kids well he's dead um but like it the image reminds me of people holding up holding up these these like feminine clothes and saying like see this is why we had to do it look at what he what he was wearing right like yeah yeah and i just think about like the words the brothers use when they see him coming. Here comes the big dreamer. It's not like, oh, here comes the person that we're scared will like take our heritage or be like yeah. our inheritance or be. It's different. The threat is different. It, it, there may be an element like in their minds about, oh, is he going to be bigger than us? But like 
if your your second youngest brother tells you I'm going to be like ruling over you all, you like if if there wasn't another threat, they would have laughed about it and just said, yeah, yeah, sure, kid, and yeah, um, maybe have beaten him up or something like to to like yeah, you you're one of us, you're one of the guys, but you're your youngest and you're kind of yeah, stop those like like silly silly stuff to to annoy us and that that those silly ideas, but there's something different. There's something like another threat there. Yeah, as if Joseph's dreams by themselves could hurt them. It becomes clear with how easily that, like, there's so many of them and only one of Joseph. Of course, they're able to overpower Joseph and and deal with the problem. Like, yeah. It's so weird. Have you seen the musical? Because you're almost exactly quoting the, the lyrics. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I... I haven't. There's 11 of us and there's only one of him. Oh, shit. That's, that's really cute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, here we go. Um, but, yeah, on the, I, I'm so happy you brought up the big, them calling Joseph the big dreamer because I would have forgotten to mention that. Um, you want to know the Hebrew there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, got, got to get the Hebrew in yeah, there. Yeah, of course. So in the Hebrew, it's Baal. Sorry, it's hard to say. Baal hachalamot. Um if you Baal is like the word that's often used for like foreign gods, but it it just means it means a lord or a master, so it can refer to humans mm-hmm. as well as deities. Um, and then the second word is like of the dream, so they're calling him keeper of the dream. Is one way that um, mm-hmm. there's a Jewish scholar named Karen Lee Ehrlichman who who translates it keeper of the dreams, which I like, um, or you could say master or lord of the dreams. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, again, like you're like. Dreams are these abstract things. Like that's all that Joseph is lord over. That's it. Just dreams. But to but to these brothers, those dreams are so threatening that they cannot like they can't bear the idea of letting Joseph continue to exist with these these dreams. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, this this person Ehrlichman says that um, for queer Jews and then I think for any queer folk, but yeah, for for queer Jews, she says, may dress in ways or speak truth that others find quite threatening. We also cultivate a powerful set of tools for navigating through multiple coexisting realities. Joseph's gifts as a dreamer and visionary challenged the conventional assumptions of the times for Jews and Egyptians alike. So just this idea that like, who are you as this younger sibling? Yeah. To be master of anything, let like even dreams, like, and then in Egypt, who are you, a, a slave and prisoner, to be able to interpret dreams like this, like? Yeah, that 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 thing that you just quoted, it also really really applies to autistic people. Like, one day we're going to make an episode about uh, or like the autistic prophets mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. about truth speaking and the urge to speak the truth or the kind of the danger we put ourselves in by just uh, like communicating about reality as we see it yes and being frustrated when other people refuse to see or to accept reality and that that puts us in danger yeah so like whatever scares the brothers it is yeah basically this access to reality that their like neuroqueer little sibling has Mm-hmm. that they don't have yeah and that's scary in itself yeah and yeah for so many queer people 
like there's an internalized monitoring of their behavior in, 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 in unsafe spaces, not to let on that you're queer and people can sometimes still tell that you're, yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And the same with autistic people to even like, especially when you don't know that you're autistic. And I used to think, what is it? Do I have a target on my head? What is there <laughs> like something written on, like there's a post-it note, like kick me or like bully me. Mm. How do you all know who to pick on? How do you know that? And there is, there is something really threatening and scary about a 10-year-old autistic kid. For other teenage kids, it challenges something. Right. Like my, my, my primary school teacher, when I was seven years old, and my mom was complaining that I was bullied in school, and she said, yeah, Laura, Laura is kind of inadvertently, without knowing it, sending off signals that provokes the other kids. So it's all your fault somehow. Yeah. 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 Well, first of all, that's just that's just crap anyway. That that kind of victim blaming that even if you were aware of whatever it was you were doing that was supposedly provoking them, like you should be allowed to live your life and be yourself without fear of that danger. Yeah. But like you're saying, for a lot of people, the possibility of trying to pass either as 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 neurotypical or as cis and straight. Mm-hmm just is not possible and especially for someone like joseph who is this person assigned male at birth who has these tells like tells yeah like it's it's not just that joseph is wearing this princess dress it's not just that joseph is putting makeup on like the the eye the eyeliner stuff it's also the the uh midrash says has this like turn to his heel whatever that means it's it reminds me of the idea of having like a limp wrist like yeah there's just parts of joseph's body language that screams not one of us yeah not typical and the brothers can't stand that they can't stand the idea of anyone challenging what to them should be a given because it would force them to look inside themselves and yeah they they don't want to challenge to the, the status quo um where men are one thing and and women are another thing and like you know there's masters and there's slaves there's older brothers and there's younger brothers like they don't want to challenge any of that um and joseph forces like they feel forced by joseph to 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 question it yeah. while poor joseph yeah. is just trying to live like yeah yeah Again, saying poor Joseph is quoting songs, but really <laughs> I really need to watch this musical. <laughs> yeah. I just realized something about uh, raising your heel. Would that, mm-hmm. I have no idea, like, as a non native speaker, like, could I read that as something like some autistic people do this toe walking? Yeah, wait. I don't really know what it means in this context, but yeah, yeah, wait, autistic people often walk on our toes. <laughs> Either way, there's just something weird about Joseph that they can't handle. People people always kind of realize I'm walking, I'm, I'm moving weirdly. And, and, yeah. and I know like dyspraxia plays a big part in this and like mm-hmm. kind of disconnection from my surrounding and all that. But there's also... There's a difference. You can just tell. And people can't name it. But the way like 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 Gaida or like like Ortda works that we yeah. also can tell and feel at home when people walk like that. Yeah. And 
there's this one uh, tweet or like post going around in the neuroqueer communities about resting T-Rex arm. Is that a gay thing or an autistic thing? Yeah. But what always kind of also gets me a bit, like it's really painful to listen to in this story, is like how casual they decide to do that. Like, it's like, oh, there comes that guy. You know what? Let's just kill him. They don't even want to think about why they hate him. They just want to not think about him anymore. Right. It's probably like the tension has been sort of building. And this is their chance because Joseph is far away from Jacob. No one's there to protect them. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I wonder if it almost, start, you know, like weird, like macho talk of like. Oh, yeah. One guy will say something as a joke and it builds. It builds into something ugly yeah. because they'll start one-upping each other. Like, I wonder if that's the, yeah. the mood of this conversation. Yeah. Where one of them is almost joking, like, what if we just killed him and threw him in the cistern? And then someone else was like, oh. And then Ruben jumps in like, oh, hey, let's not do that. Yeah. Let's let's just throw him in the cistern, but not kill him. And so then the other guys are like, "Oh, well, I guess we're throwing him in the cistern," and and kind of still has to stay in in the game in this kind of right. Uh, can't just say this is not what we do. We're not doing this, but has to kind of yeah. We're still gonna beat. Him. We're still gonna hurt him, and like we're gonna yeah. And yeah, you were you were like suggesting we talk about the different called the different flavors of violence, which I really really find find important. That yeah, we have like the open like hatred and 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 hate crimes and uh, open aggression, and then we have kind of the no, I'm I'm not like my brothers. I only sell my brother. I I would not. I would never kill him. <laughs> yeah, the, those levels of like no killing gay people is not okay. They shouldn't marry and shouldn't adopt children. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And same with disabled people. Like people think they're not a racist or they're not ableist yeah. or they're not queerphobic yeah. if they don't literally want the people to die. Yeah. But they don't see that, yeah, um, failing to protect our rights or even actively taking away rights from us is violent as well. And um, Ruben not being brave enough to be a real ally and just protect his brother but basically leaving him alone with the other guys yeah and being like oh i'll i'll go rescue him after the violence has happened i'll go pick joseph up out of the well and be like yeah sorry about that take you home no no you you have to help joseph before this stuff goes down come on and then the whole what am i what am i to do now like the whole yeah this is bad for me now like my father's going to hate me now right and so with Jacob, like, what is Jacob's parenting hmm. like? Hmm. Like, because we saw that Jacob, Jacob seems to affirm Joseph's gender nonconformity by offer by gifting Joseph with this princess dress. Yeah. But then Jacob also sends Joseph off to go, like, off to go check on the brothers. That seems really foolish to me. Joke, like, Jacob has to have known that this tension existed why would he send joseph off alone yeah jacob you have a brother who is a bit of a mean guy right yeah he had yeah he had terrible conflict with his brother <laughs> and who also seems to be like the the juxtaposition between that and and jacob's own effeminacy like 
Yeah, yeah, right. Like, Jacob, if you see yourself in Joseph, then you have to see the danger that lies ahead for Joseph. Yeah. Because it turned out dangerous for you. How do you not, how do you not see that? Yeah. How do you not do something about it? Why do you just let it unfold? Yeah, that's trauma cycles, yeah. He just lets it happen. What I was thinking of, like, when you brought up the who is to blame here and the different kinds of, of violence of like Jacob being a bit like the ally that's just there for the pride parade. Oh Lord. Yeah. And it's just there for the waving of the flag and just, Oh yeah, you're so cool. Oh yeah. You're my token gay friend. Oh yeah. Like my token autistic friend and stuff. And then not seeing, like not wanting to be confronted with the lived reality of, of people. And Mm -hmm. uh, Jacob is basically kind of consuming Joseph in a way of, oh, he, he reminds me of his mother, and oh, he's my pride and joy, and so on. Right. But not really, um, that's not really a relationship. And that's not really, so he can't protect his son, or his, his second youngest child, um, if he closes his eyes and only wants to see, like, the colorful dress. And I still, like, I still appreciate what Jacob does, giving Joseph the... The, the garment, the ketanet passim. Yeah. I think that's beautiful, but all of these characters have their flaws. It, yeah. There's a lot that need, would have had to be done by everyone involved for this not to have had to happen. Yeah, this is what's happening now. This is a boy in a well, like crying and being alone and- And naked. Yeah, yeah naked and, and fearing for his life. is how part one of my conversation with Laura ended. But, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, Joseph's story is not done. There is flourishing to come. To hear what happens next, the complexities of Joseph's enslavement, eventual rise to leadership in Egypt, and reunion with their brothers, you'll have to go check out Laura's Autistic Liberation Theology podcast, which you can find linked in the episode notes. You'll also find other cool stuff about the Joseph story in the episode notes, including links to other episodes of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers that explore other members of Joseph's family through a queer lens, a sermon I once wrote about Joseph's reconciliation with their brothers that emphasizes the need for the safety and empowerment of the wronged in order for true forgiveness to happen, and a link to an academic text titled Was Joseph on the Spectrum that also argues that Joseph was autistic. Okay, that's it for closing comments, except to remind you once again that you can submit your stories about what's getting you through these difficult times in which we find ourselves to queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. Email me there if you have any questions about what I'm looking for, but I'm trying to keep it as broad as possible, so if you think it counts, it probably does. To close out, I'm going to throw in a little bonus clip from my conversation with Laura that's a bit more fun than where we left off. This clip comes from the second Neuroqueer Joseph episode. Enjoy it, and then get out there and break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life. 
I love that we're we're putting spoiler warnings for a four thousand year old story. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> like or like however old it is. Uh, to, yeah. Yeah. In case, yeah. <laughs> this ancient story. <laughs> Stay off Twitter. Don't get like don't get spoiled. Yeah, don't get spoiled for the book of Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> well, if this is the ending of an episode, one more fun bit of midrash. On the topic of Joseph having a wife. Oh yes, yeah. Is this is from yeah, yeah, you probably saw this in the in the Danya Rutenberg article that apparently there's um one rabbi back in the day who says that Joseph didn't often find women very interesting. Um this quote says When Joseph was riding in the chariot and passed through all the borders of the land of Egypt, the Egyptian girls were climbing up the walls for his sake, and they threw to him rings of gold, so that perchance he might look at them, and they could see the beauty of his figure, but nobody's eyes degraded him. That is to say, Mm -hmm. he didn't look at any of them. Mm -hmm. Like, like just this idea that Joseph might not be that into women is fun. And, And again, like, Definitely not a necessary reading, but one way to one way that one rabbi has sort of envisioned Joseph. One thing uh, that I've learned from a from a Muslim person uh, from Syria is that in Islam, it's said that Joseph possessed half of the world's beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Uh huh. And I I really like that, and that. Uh, that person also told me that uh, despite it, like in, in, in current Islamic traditions, it is um, forbidden or not, like not usual to depict religious fig- figures. Right. They made a Joseph movie in Iran and everybody loves it and everybody watches it. <laughs> awesome. And they had had a really, really, he said that they chose a really attractive actor to play Joseph. They had to. And so it's canon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's canon that he's a pretty boy. Joseph is super hot. That's like one of the main traits we know about Joseph. What, like, <laughs> what, what does Dania Rutenberg uses the word hot bod? Oh yeah, 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 she does. When she translates the, um, yeah. He has a hot bod, yeah. <laughs>